Today's Whiskey Flick is presented by the Alchemex Corporation. Alchemex brings innovation home to you with the latest in health, medicine, and personal care products. From genetically modified arachnids to super colliders unlocking parallel dimensions and ripping apart the very fabric of time and space, Alchemex meets the needs of your family no matter what universe they're in. Use promo code TRUEBELIEVERS to receive 42% off your next purchase. The Alchemex Corporation, a new dimension in personal care. On today's Whiskey Flick, anyone can wear the mask. You can wear the mask. Grab a glass and your web slinger for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Welcome back to an all-new Whiskey Flick. I'm your host, as always, Terrence Dunn, ready to dive into today's awesome flick with some great whiskey. On today's show, I'll be taking a trip into the Spider-Verse with my guest, Josh Callis. But first, some housekeeping and a recap of our last show. Now, you may have noticed we didn't have a recap episode as we have in the past following our awesome episode with Brittany Callis about Empire Records. We're changing things up a little bit around Whiskey Flick to keep things more engaging for you as a listener and more entertaining overall with a focus on the movies. So what you can look forward to is the same great recap content with all of the awesome feedback from you from our polls and your calls from the hotline but we're going to be integrating them into the episode to try to make them more engaging and more focused on the movies you can also look forward to seeing episodes on a more consistent basis every other friday so let's talk a little bit about your thoughts on empire records because you all definitely had some thoughts about this awesome fun movie that Brittany and i chatted about one of the biggest questions we had on our twitter polls was given that this is a cult film how many of you had seen it and it turns out 56 percent of you had seen the movie previously, so lots of positive feedback from those that had seen it. We also had another 11% of you that said that you actively plan to watch the movie, so it's nice to see that we had some folks who have not seen the movie and are ready to dive into Empire Records a little more, but also very cool to see that quite a few of you already had some experience with this really fun film. We also had some questions for you about what is the best musical appearance that appeared in Empire Records on our Twitter polls, and overwhelmingly, 78% of you loved the Gin Blossoms, and that is, of course, the most popular popular songs that makes a lot of sense. Was very excited when we shared a couple of TikToks about the new episode that we had some Guar fans pop their heads in to give a shout out to Guar. Um, so lots of love for Guar and their crazy, crazy live performance that made its way into Empire Records. If y'all have never had a chance to check out Guar live, it's a ton of fun. And so it was nice to see some Guar fans hanging out on TikTok with us. Overall, a movie that is a ton of fun. I know I personally hadn't revisited in quite some time, but that we both agreed was worth the watch. It's fun. It's entertaining. It's funny. It's got a, an interesting and compelling message for a modern age. And so Empire Records, definitely one that's worth your time. And hopefully many more of you will revisit Empire Records either before or after you listen to our most recent episode. Again, we're so excited about what's ahead for Whiskey Flick with our new format and everything we've got in store for the rest of the year and more. So thank you all so much for sticking with us. We're so excited about what's up next. In the meantime, grab your glass and take your seat because it's showtime. My husband, Peter Parker, was an ordinary person. He always said it could have been anyone behind the mask. He was just a kid who happened to get bit. I'm going to miss him. Yeah, we were friends, you know. Can I return it if it doesn't fit? It always fits. Eventually.
I couldn't think of anyone better to join me on this comic book adventure than one of my fellow comic book lovers and a returning Whiskey Flick champion, Josh Callis. Josh, welcome back to Whiskey Flick. Thanks. It's uh, good to be back. I'm excited to get into it. Nice. I am too. We had you on uh, first in our Back to the Future fan fest with Steve and Eric very early in our run. So what's been new with you since we last spoke on the show? Um, We are getting close to having a child. Other than that, just been working, getting rooms together, trying to figure out how we're going to do all that. But it's been good, man. Nice. I like it. When we last recorded, I think that was new news. So now it's almost here. Um, That's awesome, man. Definitely glad to have you on, Josh. So before we take our own trip into the Spider-Verse, let's talk a little bit about what's on tap for today. So Josh, what are you uh, drinking as we get ready to talk a little bit about this flavor? I have my urban artifact. It's called Teak. It's a tropical American fruit tart brewed with pineapple, pink guava, and key lime. That sounds very refreshing, kind of summery. I am personally enjoying a little bit of ginger ale and Bullet Bourbon, one of my staples. And we're kicking things off first with today's movie, which is 2018's Academy Award-winning animated hit, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Now, before we get into the specifics on this movie, it is a rite of passage to learn a little bit more about our guest tastes on Whiskey Flick. What would you say are your top five favorites? My top five in no particular order would be Goodfellas, A Few Good Men, Shawshank Redemption, uh, About Time, and then the fourth one usually changes. Some months it's Silver Linings Playbook, other months it's Casino. It just depends. The top four are set. That's awesome, man. So it seems like you've got some Scorsese love in there. I definitely got a lot of love for Goodfellas and Casino. Those are both great flicks. I'm interested that you have about time on your list because I know I that's a movie that I've not only never seen, I had never even heard of it until Matt referenced it as being part of his top five. So now I'm like really intrigued. This is like, shit, I must have missed the boat on this. Movie. You know, Matt's the one that showed it to me too. It's a really good movie. It's just really solid. Let's dive in a little bit more to the topic of today's movie, which is around comic books and comic book movies. With today's movie being a comic book film, let's talk a little bit more about our history with comics. I know I'm a huge comics nerd. I know that you're really big into to comics and superheroes. So how did you get your start into this like world? Like what first drew you into to comics? So there's probably two starts. So one as a kid, I loved all the superhero stuff. Spider-Man was my favorite as a kid. I had all these toys and everything. And then I actually remember a specific rack that would sell them and like they don't do that anymore. God, in my early 20s, mid 20s, I forget, I started working at Barnes and Noble for a little bit with that discount and they had some deal going. I bought a bunch of graphic novels and just fell in love. Then when I moved to Vegas, there was a comic book shop, like maybe two blocks from where me and Billy live. And I was in there every payday. I've kind of gotten Liam into it. I found some that they sell at this grocery store next to us, like these little five packs. So I picked up ones with him. My gateway point was the same as yours. I remember the spinning rack at Stater Brothers. And I think what really expanded it for me was the first time I started going to comic book stores regularly, which was in junior high. I remember I used to go with a friend to a comic book shop in Marino Valley. It's no longer there, West Coast Fantasy. That was kind of when comic books went more mainstream. were producing all these like collectible covers and fancy things and you started seeing more toys they made their way into like saturday morning cartoons like the x-men animated series i got the first taste of it and then all of a sudden it was everywhere and it was accessible and it was cool and interesting what is it about comic books that you love one it's like the connection to my childhood um to get a little bit deep on you i know i was bullied in school being able to see someone like Peter Parker who was a nerd actually have all this power. And then beyond that, it's just, especially more modern comics, you just get lost into like a different world, you know? I love that it is a self-contained story. It's something that I can read very easily in like 100 to 120 pages. I can enjoy a quick story. I can take in some awesome artwork. I mean, there's some just like incredible artists that are working in all of this. But I definitely was somebody who was an outsider, I guess, in a lot of ways. Like I changed schools a lot when I was growing up. So I had a hard time maintaining friendships when I was growing up. So that was kind of a, you know, a challenge throughout. And so I always appreciated, and I think that's why I gravitated mostly to books like X-Men. I I just always identified with those stories. What would you say are your all-time top five favorite comic book movies? It'd be The Dark Knight, probably Recency Bias, The Batman. 
I'm going to include them all together is like the Spider-Man movies with Tom Holland. The Watchmen was a good movie. And then can we just say Marvel as a whole? Nice. Well, I somehow did manage to put mine in order. I don't really know how. And my number one of all time is actually this movie that we're going to talk about today. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, I think is one of the most accurate representations of what I've always in my mind thought a comic book movie should be. Number two is The Dark Knight. I think this says a lot about my love of darker stories, but Logan is my number three. It, Logan was different. Logan showed that you can go to like a really dark place. Like, I mean, that movie is fucking bleak. Avengers Endgame, kind of for the same reason why you said all things Marvel, because it was kind of the culmination of all that storytelling. And then number five, because I realized most of these entries were a little more serious. Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I love what Edgar Wright did with that movie. This is like a comic book come to life. 200 miles power with a blindfold on. Mom always asking, where did I go wrong? Took you long enough. danger. What's up, danger? I see this, this spark in you. It's, it's amazing. Whatever you choose to do with it, you'll be great. Our family doesn't run from things. You're the best of all of us, Miles. You're on your way. When do I know I'm Spider-Man? You won't. That's all it is, Miles. A leap of faith. What's up, danger? Well, with that in mind, let's talk about this comic book movie and take a trip into the Spider-Verse. A couple of fast facts about the movie. So Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was released in December 2018. It opened number one in the U.S. box office with a take of 35 million. It was not only the number one film at the box office that weekend, it was the number one animated film released in December, which was surprising. I had to think about, I guess there's not a lot of animated films that come out in December, especially not from, you know, the big names Disney Pixar grossed 376 million dollars worldwide so it was a huge hit made a ton of money for Sony a few other just kind of interesting facts about the movie it actually does feature the final speaking cameo from Stan Lee in a Spider-Man film and shit is it a doozy his cameo in this movie and just like the whole conversation between him and Miles he talks about being friends with Spider-Man and Miles asks about like what do I do if the mask doesn't fit and Stan you know responds back the mask always fits eventually like with this being kind of one of his most beloved characters, the one that is like so close to him, it just felt very appropriate that that was the send off. Donald Glover has a cameo in the film. His appearance as Spider-Man in an episode of Community helped inspire the artist who created the Miles Morales character. And so there's a still from that scene that appears in the background when Miles first visits his uncle Aaron. So I thought that was kind of a, a cool inclusion. One of the most fascinating things about this movie, this movie kind of inadvertently set the stage for this whole whole idea of the multiverse that's now being explored in depth in the MCU. And it almost went full tilt with this movie because apparently, and I guess spoiler warning for anybody who didn't see Spider-Man No Way Home, fast forward 30 to 60 seconds in three, two, one. This movie in the original script included a scene where all three live action Spider-Men appeared together. Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland didn't happen in this movie, obviously did come to fruition in No Way Home. I don't know, they were so like ahead of their time almost with this movie. Again, movie was an unadulterated hit it not only made a lot of money, but it was like universally beloved. Audiences at the time of release gave it an A plus cinema score, which is the top score possible. So audiences loved it. It rated 97% on Rotten Tomatoes and 87% on Metacritic. So it was not only beloved by audiences, critics loved it too. So uh, kind of one of those rare movies in that regard. Won a ton of awards. Probably the most notable one is it did win Best Animated Feature at the Academy Awards that year. It was the first non-Disney Disney or Pixar film to win that award since Rango and was the first since Happy Feet to win when uh, another one was in contention. Like it went up against the Disney Pixar movie and won, which is pretty rare. That award usually goes to Disney and Pixar. It won a number of other awards, Golden Globes, Critics' Choice, etc. The soundtrack, which is incredible. We're going to talk about the soundtrack here in a little bit, was nominated for a Grammy. And again, because it was such a hit, there's more on the way. There's two sequels. They keep getting their release dates pushed back because COVID. So we're supposed to get the them back to back next
next year and then the year after. Last but not least, let's talk a little bit about the people, Josh. So first, the crew. So we've got our three co-directors. First up, Peter Ramsey. He previously was a director on the film Rise of the Guardians. In directing that film, he became the first African-American to direct a big budget animated feature, which was very, very cool. Also pretty cool that he worked his way up through the ranks. So he started as a storyboard artist. He worked on Independence Day. He worked on Men in Black. He worked on a bunch of the Shrek movies. He's pretty much been a part of the world of storyboarding and art in Hollywood since like the mid to early 90s and then became a director. His other co-director, Bob Kershetti, this was his first time directing, had also worked as a writer and an artist on a number of the, the DreamWorks films like uh, the Shrek movies. And then Rodney Rothman, who was the third co-director, um, but was also the co-writer. He worked on the script for this movie with Phil Lord. Phil Lord, obviously better known with his writing and producing partner, Christopher Miller. And so he worked with him on the script as well as the co-direction. And of course, let's talk about Lord and Miller because they're probably the biggest names on the production aspect of it here because they make so much funny shit. <laughs> Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. They made all of the Lego movies that have come out over the past several years. They made the 21 Jump Street movies. Like the dudes know funny and the dudes make great kind of irreverent cartoons. And so um, this definitely has the Lord and Miller signature on it. Josh, any thoughts on the production? Um, cool that you said he was the first like African-American with a big budget thing which there's a piece of that that is like really important with this movie as far as like representation and things like that when i was researching this movie and i read i read that fact i had so many mixed feelings about it because on the one hand obviously like that's great ultimately like the fact that they got the keys to the car to to kind of you know drive one of those big budget movies is awesome and is not an opportunity that a lot of folks get to have and particularly with this film being his second big budget directorial credit that's obviously a huge win for the storytelling not only for rise of the guardians but also for into the Spider-Verse. On the flip side of that, Rise of the Guardians came out in 2012. And so that was my like kind of flip reaction of, oh, it's cool he was the first in 2012, 10 years ago and, and you know, over a century into the making of animated films. Problematic, but glad that it happened. And he's a, an incredible director. Like his work on Rise of the Guardians and on this film is, is pretty remarkable. Well, last but not least, we got to talk a little bit about the cast. I and mean, obviously with this being a more recent movie, typically with some of the older movies, we talk a little bit about the where were they then and where are they now? But a lot of these people are household names. <laughs> so most people kind of know who they are with the exception of our lead. So Shamik Moore, who did the voice of Miles Morales. This was actually his first major film role. He's a singer and a rapper, and that's what he did prior to that. That's what he still does today. But this was kind of his first big break. His next major appearances will be as Miles Morales in the sequels. Jake Johnson, who did the voice of Peter B. Parker, appeared in the Lego movie, Neighbors, 21 Jump Street. Chris Pine, a huge name, was the Peter Parker from the Miles Morales universe. A famous dude, Star Trek, Wonder Woman, Hell or High Water. He's one of the Chris's, right? Chris Pine, Chris Hemsworth, Chris Evans, and Chris Pratt. Yeah, the four Chris's. We got Haley Steinfeld, uh, who played Gwen Stacy, was in the Pitch Perfect movies, also was seen most recently in, and I love this trend of the people in this movie appearing in other Marvel properties, because a lot of them did. <laughs> she most recently appeared in the Hawkeye series uh, with Jeremy Renner that came out at the end of last year. Mahershal Ali, who did the voice of Uncle Aaron, probably best known for Moonlight, that's the one I always immediately think of, but was also in Green Book, a few of the Hunger Games movies. Brian Tyree Henry, who played Miles' dad. I know him mostly from Atlanta because um, I love that show, but he was also in Eternals, you know, another Marvel appearance. Lee Schreiber, who did uh, the voice of Kingpin, uh, was in, I, I mainly remember him from movies in the 90s, so like the Scream movies, Phantoms. He was Sabretooth in the X-Men Origins movie, which was terrible. He was good in it. Katherine Hahn, who was, you know, Doc Ock. She's been in a ton of comedies where the Millers, Bad Bombs. Uh, she was most recently in WandaVision as Agatha Harkness. She'll appear in the sequel series here coming up very soon. John Mulaney, which I didn't even realize it was John Mulaney that did the voice of Spider-Ham. There's a bunch of people in this movie where like their voices sounded like kind of similar. And I think that was on purpose. Chris Pine and Jake Johnson sound kind of similar. John Mulaney, I could have sworn was Nathan Lane, who's obviously known from SNL. He's probably best known as a stand-up. Uh, we had Kamiko Glenn, who played Penny Parker. She was on Orange is the New Black and BoJack Horseman. And we'd be remiss if we did not mention Nicolas Cage. One of my favorite castings in this movie, like everybody in this movie 
movie's obviously great, but like I couldn't think of anybody better to do that like very tongue-in-cheek Spider-Man noir than Nicolas Cage. That just is such a pitch-perfect performance for him. If you don't know who Nicolas Cage is, you're living under a fucking rock. Um, well, I think we already kind of chatted a little bit about it, but before we dive into the details around the movie, any thoughts on the cast? It was, I mean, it was a fantastic cast. I mean, even like Zoe Kravitz is Mary Jane Watson. Most of the budget had to be on the cast, would be my guess. And the animation. This movie is the most animators that have ever worked on a Sony movie. The art talent and the voice talent, I think, took all the money. Spider-Man. I mean, this guy swings in once a day, zip zaps up in his little mask and answers to no one, right? Yeah, Dad, yeah. And meanwhile, my guys are out there, yeah. lives on the line, uh -huh. no mask. You know, we show our Oh, no. Dad, Dad, speed up, speed up. I know these kids. You know, with great ability comes great accountability. That's not even how the saying goes, Man, Dad. I do like a cereal, though, man. I'm giving that. Oh my gosh, don't cops run red lights? Well, yes, some do, but uh, not your dad. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into it, man. So we, we got to know a little bit about the cast, a little bit about the production. So let's talk about our experiences watching the movie. So first of all, first impression. Josh, talk to me a little bit about when you first saw the movie. What was your experience? I first saw it, I think it had already come out in theaters. I, I, I bought it on Blu-ray. And this movie actually has like a kind of a special connection for me and Liam. I bought the Blu-ray that has the DVD and the Blu-ray separately. I, I kept the DVD and gave him the Blu-ray. It was the first thing. Me and Brittany just started dating. And I was like, hey, I don't need two of these and didn't think anything of it. And for, I don't know, two months after that, every time I'd see him, he would thank me for the movie I gave him and talked about it to everybody. So it's just kind of but when I first watched it, I was just blown away. We're going to get into all of it, but the soundtrack, the use of comics in the movie, like the panels and like the little dialogue boxes and monologue boxes, it was just a home run. Like you said, I was like, this was the perfect way to do like an animated comic book movie. It was just perfect. It didn't try to go too serious and ignore the comics. Like it really felt like it embraced them, even down to mimicking stuff from the original Spider-Man comic. I'm like when the part where he says, keep sticking miles, like. It was perfect. I was like shocked. I was like, this was not a kid's movie. <laughs> like, no, it was definitely a movie for everybody. This isn't a movie that adults tolerate. It's a movie that adults enjoy. So I actually did go see it on opening weekend in theaters. I walked in with kind of tempered expectations. I was excited from the trailer, but I also remember how many times the Sony Spider-Man movies have disappointed me in my life. <laughs> So I walked in kind of like, well, let's see how this goes. I will forever remember seeing it in a theater because I went and watched it in 3D. And this movie in 3D was just, I mean, I was jaw dropped immediately just thinking about like that opening sequence and you're immediately confronted with, well, first of all, you're immediately confronted with how much of a comics accurate movie it is. You have the seal of approval from the comics code. You have kind of like the art style, the way that everything is drawn and colored. The motion almost has like a stop motion feel to it. You know, you mentioned the way that art is framed in panels or that you have text that appears in the real world, you know, behind or around characters. The coloring stood out to me immediately the fact that you have the dots that appear or like the lines of shading it's clearly a computer animated film but it's one that looks like it is inked and painted like a comic book and I think the other thing related to that that stood out to me was how immersive all of that was. I felt like I very quickly disappeared into this world. It felt like I had literally stepped into a comic book. And that was really cool. Like, I can't think of another movie that really does that. A lot of comic movies seem to, and for each has their positives, but like the Nolan series, for example, is really focused on taking a comic story and making it real. You had the terrible Batman movies before that like tried to kind of look like a comic by having bright colors and big set pieces where this one truly embraced like the roots of like we want to show you a moving comic so i'm kind of curious so we talked a little bit about the opening right and some of the the things that really kind of grabbed us as we initially watched it are there any other particular like scenes or moments or, or elements of the film that really stand out to you or that are, are particularly memorable the sunflower scene in general, and we'll get into the soundtrack, but the movie does a fantastic job with what songs they chose for what scenes. That's the big one. I think that music really, it just gives it a different feel. I don't know how to, I mean, I can't put into words. I'm not smart enough to put into the correct words, but the soundtrack doesn't always hit with every movie, or sometimes you hear a great soundtrack and then it's not used in the movies. This just blends the two really, really well. You're spot on, man. Like the music in this movie is super specific. It's really, really tailored to this movie and is 
crucial to telling the story that this movie is trying to tell. And, and that's on both sides of the coin, right? You've got the actual proper soundtrack that is full of very modern music, right? It's got Post Malone songs, it's got Lil Wayne songs. And then you even look at the score, kind of like jazzy urban music. Like there's that scene where Miles and Peter B are like making their way from like the, the escape on the train. And the music that's playing in the background is this like bongos and there's like a bass line. It's got this very kind of like jazz club vibe to it. And it all feels so specific. Spider-Man has always been a story that's taken place in New York. The soundtrack feels very specific to that like New York urban living, but also feels very specific to the story of Miles. Like it feels like it's very, very on point for this story of a youth in the modern day who's growing up and coming into his own, you know, humming along the wrong words to Sunflower early in the film. Like this is clearly music that speaks to Miles and in turn is speaking to the viewers. Like we can relate to that. And young people who would be Miles' age can relate to it through its inclusion on the soundtrack. I know one of the things I definitely wanted to call out that stands out to me, especially the more that I rewatch it, like this is a really funny movie. You know, you get caught up sometimes a lot in the actual like action sequences and like the kind of more Spider-Man type sequences. But the way that this movie uses humor, there's a lot of like rapid fire jokes, right? There's a lot of like very, very quick witted humor, which if you think about other Lord Miller movies, it totally matches, right? Like you think about like the Lego movie and the speed and pace of that humor is so similar where it's just you're constantly just under a barrage of jokes. Some of them are big swings. Some of them are small. But but the more I watched it, the more I was like, oh my God, this movie is so funny. Like a few of the ones that I highlighted that, that just made me laugh a lot were, I love the montage where Peter B and Miles are outside of the lab and they're like getting ready and talking about their plan. And they're suiting up in this montage to St. Elmo's fire. And it's like, you know, the epic eighties hair metal montage. And then I love as like, they're talking about like, okay, what's the plan? And he's talking about the way that he's gonna make his way in. And he makes this comment about Doc Ock, we end up finding out later uh, where he doesn't think that like she's the one who's responsible for it and Miles corrects him and Peter B adds the step. Step one, I infiltrate the lab. Two, find the head scientist computer. That lady with the bike is the head scientist. I saw her in this documentary at school. Cool. Step three, I re-examine my personal biases. Step four, I hack the computer. It's not technically hacking. It's kind of... Ah, hold on, I just lost my train of thought. Step five, download the important stuff. I'll know when I see it. And step six, I grab a bagel from the cafeteria and run. So what am I doing? Uh, step seven. You stay here, your lookout. Very important. Look, man, you gotta teach me how to do Spider-Man stuff or I'm not gonna be able to help. All right. Watch and learn, kid. I'll quiz you later. I get stuck with a janky old broke hobo Spider-Man. I laugh so hard every time it gets to that line. Uh, like a sleek little slip-in that makes me laugh. There's the joke from Chris Pine's Peter Parker where he goes to put the USB stick into the machine and he makes a joke about like, I never know which way these are supposed to go and like who can't relate to that. There's some great jokes about Spider-Man noir. Like, you know, how is he in the wind? We're in a basement. Why is he in black and white? Little jokes. And then there's even running gags too. Like the whole scene sequence where Miles is interacting with Gwen Stacy in the school and he's talking about how, oh, it's a puberty thing. Oh no, I, but I mean, I already, but I already went through puberty. You know, I'm a man now. And then he's, his hand sticking to her hair and he's like, it's a puberty thing, like so awkward. I gotta get pants. Wait, why is the voice in my head so loud? What? Oh, are you okay? What? Why am I so sweaty? Why are you so sweaty? It's a puberty thing. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. I'm not going through puberty. I did, but I'm done. I'm a man. I love the like very awkward, very teenage, very rapid fire gags that keep you laughing in between the thrills, I thought is a, a really cool way to ground this movie. Any sequences you found particularly funny? I, I like the, okay, let's do this one last time. For a lot of reasons, like one, Spider-Man has been done a ton of times. It's one of the things I appreciated about the MCU's version is we didn't go through an origin story for Peter Parker. And obviously this is an origin story for Miles, but it was kind of just a hint at like, you guys already know 
this. We don't need to relive it. But then when Peter B. does his, it just gets really sad. And <laughs> I thought that was great. Nicholas Cage's was great, just talking about fighting Nazis. And that was just a really clever way to drop of like a lot of background on them without having to go through like, well, this is what happened in my year. And it's it's kind of setting the table for us on this whole, you know, I know he mentioned it up at the top, but the fact that this movie kind of sets the table for the multiverse concept. Yeah. That running gag kind of does that for us because we get, you know, my name is Peter Parker. My name is Peter B. Parker. My name is Gwen Stacy. My name is Miles Morales. Like we get all these different, you know, kind of exposition pieces. Awesome. Any other big highlights for you in this movie? So, I mean, the whole end sequence, there's no, like, there's the animation on that beautiful like i mean you've talked about it a lot but the animation in general and just everything in this movie we're talking specific scenes obviously the whole uh chase outside of uh was alchemex when they're getting chased down and like miles is learning to swing like there's just a lot of funny stuff there i mean it's what's really great about this movie is the pace there's not really any slow parts and like slow parts aren't always bad but in a movie like this you probably don't want a prolonged thing where you're losing attention it's got a great pace it, it, it kind of leans into what I think my biggest take about this movie is, which is kind of interesting because obviously we're talking about it in an audio medium, and that's just how visual this movie is. You know, some movies you don't necessarily have to like pay attention to them the whole time, but this movie is incredibly visual. A lot of what makes it great is the things that you're seeing displayed on the screen. You talked about kind of like that final sequence, and I think about not only the final sequence, three specific things that I'll say when it comes to like just how visual this movie is, and it's the way that that spider powers are displayed on the screen, the sequence where Miles kind of like embraces his identity right before the climax, and then the actual final sequence. And I think all three of those point to, this is a movie that is radically different if it's live action. Like it doesn't hit the same. This is a live action Spider-Man movie, and I don't think you could pull it off as a live action Spider-Man movie. I think the closest we've seen to anything of this kind of scale in live action would probably be Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which came out earlier this year but it's completely different. It doesn't have the same, like even those scenes where they're traversing between the dimensions, right? And they're making their way to all of these different universes. It still doesn't have this spectacular grand scale in this movie that you could really only do with artwork, the spider power. When you first see Miles capture his Spidey sense, you see color changes in the background. You see this giant displayed letters of lookout that appears behind him before the thing comes crashing through the window. And that's a visual that doesn't work in live action. It's something that only really works in animated. In the sequence where Miles embraces his identity and you get, honestly, I think it's some of my favorite shots. It's like more of a montage as he takes the leap off of the building and you have the sequence where he's dropping towards the street and then the camera angle inverts and it's almost like he's flying up into the cityscape. And you could do some of that live action with CGI, but it just wouldn't hit the same. It just has so much more of a punch animated because it gives it this larger than life, like a surreal realism that is really fascinating to me. And I think all of that comes to a head in that final sequence. I'm forever blown away by that final sequence in the Collider where, I mean, you have backgrounds that disappear, they're changing shape. You've got so many like colors and images happening and you have incomplete frames, which is something that's a very comic book thing. It's not typically in an animated film and definitely not in a live action film. When you think about Multiverse of Madness or any one of these other Spider-Man movies, when you have CGI backdrops, they're fully fleshed out. You see all the buildings, Buildings, you see the skyscapes, they're designed to look realistic. In this, you just have backgrounds that are a wash of color or an explosion of dots or the action lines, like a pink and purple screen and you got the lines that are flying behind Spider-Man, none of which is realistic, but all of which contributes to that surreal realism and that kind of larger than life animation style. I think that all of those, you know, really kind of consummate that idea of it. This could only be an animated movie and it's made better for it. And I think it's one of the reasons why this is my favorite comic book movie is just because it manages to execute that where live action could not. I gotta make Kingpin pay. You have to let me make him pay. Miles, you're gonna get yourself killed. But I'm ready. I promise. <gasps> then Venom strike me right now. Or turn invisible on command so you can get past me. I know how much you want this kid. Poor little guy. 
but you don't have it yet. I'm sorry. When will I know I'm ready? You won't. It's a leap of faith. That's all it is, Miles. A leap of faith. Anything else kind of in the uh, the middle part of the flick that you think is particularly memorable? Just the scene where his uncle has him, takes off his mask. And when I first saw that, like it hit me when he puts Miles' mask back on him, I was freaked out a little. I was like, oh my God, he's going to kill him. He didn't have to look into his eyes or something. And then he dies and just the impact that has on Miles. And I guess that's his Uncle Ben moment, obviously, which is just the parent of being Spider-Man is you have to have lost a loved one. Their relationship was really cool. There's a lot of movies that have these kind of like traumatic events. This movie has a lot of them. Yeah. And I think I was always really surprised by how well, you know, obviously you've experienced the movie with Liam. I've experienced the movie with my nieces and nephews. And I've always been really impressed by, there's a few like major things in this movie, right? You get the death of Peter Parker. It's pretty gruesome. Kingpin just, uh, just kind of like wrecks him. You get that whole sequence that you just described with Uncle Aaron, right? Where it's like, oh my God, is he going to kill him? And then, you know, dealing with that whole breakdown in the alleyway. And then even Kingpin's story itself. Kingpin is definitely in the Thanos killmonger. He's a bad dude and he's not making the right choices, but I appreciate when Marvel gives us villains where we can understand their motivations. We understand why Kingpin's the way he is and it's sad. Yeah. Like he's still not doing the right thing and we still understand he's a villain, but like he lost his family. You feel bad for him in those motivations, but kids seem to get it. They tell it in such a way that it is tough, but becomes part of the growth journey, not only for the characters, but also for like younger viewers. Miles. Uncle Aaron. This is my fault. No, Miles. I'm sorry. I wanted you to look up to me. I let you down, man. I let you down. You're the, you're the best of all of us, Miles. You're on your way. Just, just keep going. Just keep going. I guess just a few other kind of miscellaneous highlights. I love that Aunt May serves as like a homing beacon in the movie. No matter where the spider people come from, they all know that Aunt May is like a person to go to. To your point, everybody has their Uncle Ben moment and Aunt May is always at the center of the spider universe. So we talked a little bit about the things that stood out to us in the movie itself. What do you think this movie is about? Or what do you think the movie is trying to say? Not on the nose of what Mary Jane says that everybody was Spider-Man. Um, so I think it's, kind of showing you to no situation can be too big for you. Another part of this, which is really outside of the movie and probably separate from your question, but I think is really big. I don't think either of you or I can accurately speak to how important that representation was in this movie. Just from reading things and hearing from friends of mine, seeing a, I believe Miles is half black, half Puerto Rican, um, but just seeing a person of color as the hero of the movie is something that I think is real important because that's the dark side of comics is for however many years it was always like white superheroes. And so I do think that's really, I don't know how that feels, but just hearing what and reading stories of what people said this meant to them and obviously Black Panther in the same vein. Like, I just think that was a really cool and important thing. I mean, again, like you and I aren't able to speak on it accurately, but I do think we could both recognize like how important that can be for other people. And for someone like me, it's really great for kids. So my son loves Miles Morales. Like Liam loves to pretend to be Miles Morales and I'll be Peter Parker, Peter B. Parker, because I'm chubby. I think that's cool too. Those differences, it's important to acknowledge them, but they're not something that keeps us apart. I think you and I can kind of recognize just based on being open to the experiences of others and like being empathetic to others. Like, again, it's something that I can't directly identify with, but I feel like it's something that I can learn about through the experiences of others and just kind of keeping that open mind. It's interesting the way that that works because the history of comics is overwhelmingly white and male. That's the vast majority of superheroes. And I appreciate that we're starting to see different kinds of stories because people want to be able to see themselves. One of the things that we talked about when we we're talking about comics and 
and, and favorite heroes earlier in this conversation was the ones that we like identified with because we could kind of connect with their experiences. And I think that just opens the doors for more of that. There's nothing that says a person of color can't identify with the experiences of a Peter Parker because I think there's certain like universal truths that are inherent in that story. But it is nice when you can see yourself even more closely represented as the hero of that story. You know, I think about my nephew and my nephew's kind of the same as Liam in that regard where, you know, Miles Morales is his main Spider-Man. Like he loves Peter Parker, but like Miles Morales is Spider-Man to him. And that's a cool expansion of that story and a cool way to frame that up. And I like the way that the movie sums it up. Like you mentioned the MJ line, Peter always believed that anybody could be Spider-Man. Uh, and I think that that culminates in that kind of closing, you know, Miles does his monologue thing at the very end of the movie. Let's do this one more time. And he encapsulated it right at the very end of the movie where he, I mean, it's, it's laying it on pretty thick. Like it's very, very on the nose, but he talks about anybody can wear the mask. You can wear the mask. It's very, very precise in its message in that regard. And I think that that's important. And like, to me, the two big themes of the movie go hand in hand. It's everything you just said about this idea of representation and this idea that anybody could be a superhero. And it connects to the other, I think, big message that the movie portrays, which is this idea of Peter B calls it the leap of faith. I, I think I sum it up as like self-reliance. Like you have to learn to like believe in yourself and trust yourself and kind of lean into that. And I think those ideas go hand in hand. Anybody can wear the mask. Anybody can be Spider-Man. You just have to trust yourself. You just have to believe in yourself and you just have to take that leap of faith. And I love seeing those two ideas come together, especially for a movie that's primarily targeted at kids and adolescents. Anybody can certainly use that lesson. But I think that's a powerful message for young people who are growing up and trying to find themselves and trying to figure out where they fit into the universe. I always thought that that message was particularly fitting from this movie. Okay, let's do this one last time, yeah? My name is Miles Morales. I was bitten by a radioactive spider, and for like two days, I've been the one and only Spider-Man. I think you know the rest. I finished my essay. I saved a bunch of people. Got hit by a drone. I did this with my dad. Met my roommate, finally. Slapped a sticker where my dad's never gonna find it. When I feel alone, like no one understands what I'm going through, I remember my friends who get it. I never thought I'd be able to do any of this stuff, but I can. Anyone can wear the mask. You could wear the mask. If you didn't know that before, I hope you do now. Well, I think we've done a good job of kind of unpacking this movie. So before we go, let's put a bow on all of this. And we'll start first by having a little bit of fun with it. Obviously, with this being a movie about the Spider-Verse and kind of the first major dabble of a film into the multiverse concept, we know there's been a lot of Spider-Mans that have appeared in film. And so we thought this would be a good opportunity to talk about all of the Spider portrayals in film and give us a chance to highlight our top five. Josh, who would you say are your top five favorite Spider portrayals? in the movies. Some recency bias. I love Tom Holland. I think he hit everything from his first induction into Civil War into the last one with No Way Home. Like, he's just been spot on. Next, I it might be controversial. I really loved what Andrew Garfield did. I don't think they got enough. Like, I think there were some flaws with that movie, but I thought he did really well. The third might be Jake Johnson, honestly. I just really enjoy it. Um, I love the snarkiness. I like the animated series Spider-Man, so I might throw that in there, too. This is probably not not a shock. I'm not a fan of Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man. The second Tobey Maguire movie is really good with Doc Ock. The last movie where he played a emo version of Peter Parker once he has the black suit just kind of killed it for me. Um, also, I guess to end it would be the video game. It's one of my favorite games. And they actually reference the game. So when they go into the lair or whatever, they have that suit. But all those suits in there are like alternate suits that you can use for them. So it was kind of cool how they basically try to tie as much as they could from all the movies. They hit the meme at the end credit scene. Oscar Isaac goes back and they're just Spider-Man's pointing at each other. The fact they pulled that meme in is so good. Like that that's one of my favorite memes. And I love that that's in the mix too. We've got a little bit of overlap. My number one, it's my 
Miles. So Shameik Moore and the, the Miles Morales portrayal that's in this movie is tops for me. I love how like human and real he is. He's dealing with these very teenage problems in a very teenage way. And that's always been my favorite thing about the Peter Parker Spider-Man relationship, how real and down to earth and geeky the Peter Parker character is. And then being able to kind of be humorous, the superhero aspects don't necessarily come super easy to him. And I think that's one of the things that I like about this portrayal is more than any other, it just strikes this right balance for me. My number two is Tom Holland. Tom Holland's actually my favorite live action. And I think it's because of the live action portrayals. I feel like he's struck the best balance between Peter and Spider-Man, particularly in No Way Home. My number three is Jake Johnson. I really like his portrayal of Peter B. That might be a little controversial. We, have, we both had him relatively high on our list. Kind of for the same reason why I like Miles. He's like an imperfect hero. And to me, that's Spider-Man. Spider-Man is not a perfect hero. My number four is Andrew Garfield. I remember at the time thinking these are bad movies, but Andrew Garfield was kind of like the one okay thing about them. And that was totally reinforced for me when I saw No Way Home. He's incredible in No Way Home. This dude is a great Spider-Man. He was just stuck in two really fucking bad movies. And then number five, I'll give a shout out to Toby. Spider-Man 3, I would love to forget that movie. I think he was fun in No Way Home. I do think that Spider-Man 2 is a movie that is just barely outside of my top five on favorite comic book movies. All right, Josh, well, let's bring this in for a climax. Your final thoughts on the film, uh, as well as your chance to rate the film using our scale one to 99 bottles of whiskey on the wall. So Josh, your final thoughts on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It's a really fun movie. It's one that is on in our house a lot. It just goes through rotations. When you have kids, they tend to just want to watch something. But this is one I'm like, yeah, throw it on. The soundtrack's great. It literally is the perfect comic book movie. I'm going to go kind of high. I'm going to say 90. Man, I'll agree with you. Mind-blowing art. So incredibly creative in terms of how it portrays these pieces. It hits every note for me. I literally can't think of another movie like it. And that, to me, is the sign of a great movie. That it is so unique, so special, so well executed. I'm almost fearful of the sequels. How can they possibly live up to what this movie did? I'm going to stoke more controversy and also reference the post credit scene and something that's coming to us in the sequel, and that is Spider-Man 2099. And I'll give this film 99 bottles. I'm going to give this a perfect score. Last but not least on the flick, let's talk a little bit about the soundtrack, which we've hinted at a couple of times. Obviously, a lot of great songs in this movie. Are, are there any that particularly stand out to you as favorites from the film? Sunflower and What's Up Danger, the two big ones that me and my son always listen to. We play this game on road trips where we each like rotate and pick a song. Liam, inevitably, when we tell him he can't pick anything from Disney movies, always go the sunflower what's a danger and i'm always down for it needless to say i'm keeping our check she was a bad bad nevertheless calling it quits now baby i'm a wreck crash at my place baby you're a wreck digging in a bad way losing your grip screaming at my face baby don't trip someone took a big l don't know how that felt looking at your sideways party on Sunflower was the one that actually got nominated for the Grammy, which was really cool. I'll give a big shout out to What's Up Danger, mainly because of its use in the film. I love that scene. Miles is becoming Spider-Man and that's kind of like his leap of faith moment. And What's Up Danger is on my gym playlist because it's a hype song for me. If I'm crazy, I'm on my own. If I'm waiting, it's on my throne. If I sound lazy, just ignore my tone. Cause I'm always gonna answer when you call my phone. Like, what's up danger? Like, what's up, danger? Can't stop me now!
we would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about what's living in our heads rent-free as we love to do on this show. Anything that is living in your head this week that you want to rant or rave about? I mean, honestly, just getting ready for a child, getting ready for a baby. There are so many different things that I did not think about. I mean, thankfully, Brittany has been through this. She's been amazing at guiding that and like keeping me from getting overwhelmed. I have one tiny human, but he's six and probably smarter than me. Like just knowing like I'm going to have this other child. That's just really cool. I'm excited for it. It's going to be good, man. I'm, I'm, I'm freaking excited for you. I'll take mine into a rave and end it on a lighter and back to the nerd stuff note because I'll give a shout out to the two nerdiest things that I watched in the past week, which is I did watch, and there won't be any spoilers, uh, but Thor Love and Thunder and uh, Stranger Things Season 4. The reason why I want to rave about them is, well, one, they were both incredible. Thor Love and Thunder was wildly entertaining. It was everything you want from a Taika Waititi movie. It was just so much fun. Stranger Things, obviously a lot darker if you've seen the previous Stranger Things seasons. Season 4 is scary and intense and the the story is just really like a lot heavier than prior seasons. Not every movie needs to be an epic, right? Like the Batman was great. It was also three freaking hours. Endgame is great, over three hours. And not that those movies were bloated. Those movies were as long as they needed to be. Tell the story you want to tell and then get on. On the flip side of that, Stranger Things, those episodes are long. That being said, they're also as long as they needed to be. I don't know. I hear people rant and rave all the time about movies are too short or these TV episodes are too long. And my whole take from enjoying both of these is let stories just be what they need to be. If it takes three hours to tell a great story, then let it be three hours. Yeah. If it takes an hour to tell a great story, then let it be an hour. Like, don't try to force something to be longer or shorter than it needs to be. These are supposed to be fun things. Like, just go enjoy them. Like, just don't take shit so seriously. <laughs> you got any Spider-Man tips you can tell me now? Yeah, I got plenty. Disinfect the mask. Mm. You're going to want to use baby powder in the soup, heavy on the joints. You don't want any chafing, right? Anything else? Nope, that was everything. I think you're going to be a bad teacher. Uh -huh. Josh, I'm so excited that you joined me for this episode. I'm really excited to keep talking comic book movies with you even more coming up. If folks want to hear more from you or see what you're up to, is there anything that they can uh, follow on? You mentioned my Twitter. I fight with a lot of people on there. I've also have branded myself the uh, Dikembe Mutombo of Twitter, so I will block you like at a <laughs> drop of that. Like I have an Instagram actually that I don't update as much as I should, but it's all about craft beers and different ones I try in Ohio. Be sure you check out Josh, the man, the myth 85 on Twitter or I like craft beers underscore Ohio on Instagram. Thanks again, Josh, for joining us to walk us through these awesome comic book movies. And thanks to all of you for once again, checking out Whiskey Flick. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on the latest episodes. And if you like what you hear, throw us a review to help others find the show. Be sure to call the Whiskey Flick hotline at 818-660-6369 to share your thoughts on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and comic book blockbusters. You can also hit us up on social media at Whiskey Flick Pod to join our polls or share your takes or email us at whiskeyflickpod at gmail.com. Thanks once again to my guest Josh Callis for joining me this week and a special shout out to our friends Tony, Matt, and Nate at the 58 West King and Taco Court Podcast. Football season is back and their fantasy football pods are fired up and ready to roll. You can find the links to both of those shows in our show notes. Josh and I will be back in your feed soon to close out our double feature of comic book blockbusters with 2008's The Dark Knight. Until then, keep the whiskey flowing and the flicks going. We'll see you next time. As long as there is whiskey in the world. As long as there is whiskey. As long as there is whiskey. As long as there is whiskey in the world. Where do we begin? A year ago, these uh, cops and lawyers wouldn't dare cross any of you. I mean, what happened? So what are you proposing? It's simple. Kill the Batman. <laughs> Here's my card. Bruce, this is Harvey Dent. Rachel's told me everything about you. I certainly hope not. You once told me that we'd be together. Did you mean it? Bruce, don't make me your only hope for a normal life. You're Alfred, right? That's right, sir. Any psychotic ex-boyfriends I should be aware of? Oh, you have no idea. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Well, hello, beautiful. 
You look nervous. I've seen now what I have to become to stop men like him. The night is darkest just before the dawn. I promise you, the dawn is coming. And here we go. This city deserves a better class of criminal. I'm gonna give it to him. No! <laughs> You'll see. I'll show you. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. in the back putzer? In the middle of the day, Alfred? Not very subtle. The Lamborghini, then. Much more subtle.